Last year at a worldwide chess event, uh, Croatian grandmaster champion Bogdan Lilik from Croatia lost to an amateur, Frederick Gordon from Scotland. And it was epic that this loss happened. But what made it so epic was this, that Bogdan was 56 years old and Gordon from Scotland was 10 years old. When they interviewed uh, Frederick Gordon, he said he was so nervous playing the Grandmaster. And uh, they asked him, what did your friends think when you won? And he said, I didn't tell any of them because I didn't want to brag. <laughs> well, they might know now because the BBC reported on it. And his friends probably are celebrating with him as he's beaten a Grandmaster champion. You know, there's something endearing and maybe even something convicting about someone we don't expect showing maturity. A young person showing humility more than an adult. A person with not much in means giving what they might not even have. Someone that's faced hardships in life and still shows joy and peace. Today, we are going to see a teenage girl sing a song to this tune that we might seriously consider ourselves where our trust lies. Well, let's look together, shall we, at God's Word, Luke chapter 1. Maybe it's something that's familiar. We heard it sung last night. It's classically known as the Magnificat. Luke 1. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. The word of the Lord. If you're just joining us, I know many are visiting this morning. Welcome and glad you're here at Emmaus Road. I didn't introduce myself. I'm Dan Breed. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmaus Road. And we've been going through this Advent season the genealogy in Matthew. And what's interesting about the genealogy in Matthew is that it includes women. You know, that might not sound surprising to us today. Yes, women are important. But back then, for a genealogy to build credibility, for Jesus to be the king, you would think it would be only men. That's what they would do. But instead, it includes women. And the thing is, it's not just any kind of women. You think maybe the matriarchs of Israel know. It takes non-Israelite women in this genealogy. 
women with sketchy backgrounds, prostitutes, a woman that slept with her father-in-law, women that had been marginalized sexually. And we see the last woman in this genealogy is Mary. And because Mary is in this genealogy, we kind of see why these other women were mentioned. You see, there are many accusations against Jesus being the Messiah. An illegitimate child conceived to a teenager before she was married. How can the Messiah, the king, come from such a suspicious situation? Well, having these four women in the genealogy shows how God operates different what many people thought. See, these women, women that were, one, the grandmother, Ruth, of David, Rahab, the great-grandmother of David, these women did not disqualify King David. They should not disqualify David. They should not qualify Jesus to have Mary this teenager giving birth to him. See, the nature of Jesus is this. He is presented as one who ignore human labels of legitimacy and illegitimacy to offer his gospel of salvation to all, including the despised and the outcast of society. And these women that are mentioned in the genealogy that we've gone over, they are tenacious in their loyalty to God. They're to be admired. Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute, who would say, the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Tenacious. Ruth, for where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people shall be my people, in your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Tenacious. These are the women in the lineage of Christ. You know what's interesting about these women? They really have sometimes no other place to go. No property, no money, no political power. They go and put themselves on the one that all of us should be trusting. God. You know, some of us look through just even history or situations around us and wonder how some people do it. Maybe in the civil rights movement, how young men and women, women took hoses from police or attack dogs attacking them. And they did not respond in anger, but they responded in peace. Tenacious. Or a father, a church, I think about that church in South Carolina that had a shooting. And how they came to the courtroom. In a Bible study, this man shot up the church. And all these people that were at the Bible study in the church, they came and they talked about how they would forgive this man. They've forgiven him. It's tenacious. Where does that come from? Think about missionaries. Missionaries that we support in our church. Think about Denise. 
A woman that in her retirement has foregone Christmas with her family, being here in the States to live in Africa among people that are not of her own. Tenacious. That's what makes the Magnificat so powerful. It's a culmination of this message. A young girl trusting in God tenaciously. She glorifies God unashamedly in a tough situation. Then she challenges us to where our loyalties lie. And then she reminds us of God's faithfulness in this song. If you didn't know that Magnificat, it comes from the Latin word to magnify, and that's where we get this classical understanding of it now in our culture, the Magnificat, because it says here, my soul magnifies the Lord. You see, in the first few verses of the Magnificat, Mary is personally praising God. You see, me's and my's, and she is glorifying God with the depths of her soul. It's very interesting where she actually pens the Magnificat or maybe comes up with it. It's sandwiched between the story of her cousin or her relative Elizabeth, who's also pregnant in a supernatural way. And you see kind of a juxtaposition between both of these ladies. One, you see Elizabeth, who Mary is visiting right now, is older. She was barren, but she became pregnant miraculously out of prayer and a desire to be pregnant. She's married to an esteemed gentleman, Zechariah, a priest. And also, her getting pregnant is actually biblical precedent. Many of the matriarchs of Israel who were barren and older in life were able to become pregnant. And so people glorified in Elizabeth's pregnancy. You take that with now her cousin, her relative Mary. Not old, but young. Not a pregnancy she had been praying for, but unexpected. Not married. And no biblical precedent for what she's going through. A virgin birth. And here in the Magnificat, what does she say? For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. How? <laughs> Why? Why would she think people would call her blessed in this precarious situation that she's in? been a lot of debate. How could a teenage girl pen such a beautiful, beautiful song? Well, I've seen my daughter write beautiful poetry as a teenager. We've seen musicians that are young pen beautiful lyrics. You see that this Magnificat, it uses the Psalms a dozen plus times. It's just kind of part of her culture, growing up in Jewish culture, knowing the Psalms. And these are what comes to her lips as she thinks about her situation. A lot of what she's also hearing is maybe what she heard about Hannah's song 
from 1 Samuel. If you read that in 1 Samuel, you'll see a lot of those echoes from Hannah's song. If you know Hannah, she also wanted to, to get pregnant like Elizabeth and prayed. But the situation again was Israel was in a very, very tough situation. It was total chaos in Israel out of the judges. And you see that it was barren. The whole land was barren. And you see that um, Hannah gets pregnant with Samuel. God says he's going to provide a prophet for these hard times in Israel. And Hannah pens a song of how God uses the weak to be able to provide. He brings down the high and raises those that are humble. Here is the echo again. We're in a time of 400 years of silence until we get to Matthew, from Malachi to Matthew. It's a time of barrenness in Israel. And again, God answers that time of barrenness, that time of silence. As Gabriel comes to Mary and says, born of you will come a Savior whose kingdom will have no end. Mary knew God's history She trusted in it, and she sings. How can we call a girl like this in this situation blessed? The reason that we should call her blessed is because she demonstrates and shows that God enters the world as a Savior, not through the strong, not through the able, not through the mighty, not through the privileged, but ones that are humble and able to trust in his leading. The blessing is in the same way he can bless us and enter into our lives who are people that are humble and open to his leading. How do you look at things when you've been humbled in life? Do you magnify the Lord? These few years have been humbling, even for the most optimistic American. Sickness, broken relationships, jobs in peril. But look, look what this teenager tries to communicate to us. In this period of time, she knows less of God's plan and she magnifies his name. We know so much more on this side of the story, and yet we fret. In our humbleness and being humbled as a nation and as people, can we see that God can do great things? David prayed it. Spoke to me. Christmas can bring up so much of broken relationships. It's humbling. Kids that might not be talking to us. Friendships that are broken because of politics. Do we believe that God can do great things? That he can reconcile? For some of us, our careers have hit a brick wall. Can God look upon our humble estate 
And can we rejoice in the one that can save the world? Can bring us hope even in our career situations? Well, Mary goes on in the Magnificat and she moves from herself to us. The young teenager girl says, this reality is not just for me, the reality is for the world at large. You see, and his mercy is for those who fear him, verse 50, from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in his thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. The exalted are brought down. The humble are exalted. You see these different situations where this is happening. Those that are in high political positions on thrones are brought down. Those are prideful in their hearts that thoughts are scattered. You see this reversal, this upside-down kingdom, and you see it in six verbs used in the aorist tense, meaning it has started through Christ, through this baby that's going to come, and it's coming into fruition, meaning it is ongoing. It is arriving. The kingdom is here and coming. Did you know the Magnificat is so revolutionary that there was a time in Guatemalan history that the government banned it from being used in public worship? It was giving too much encouragement to the revolutionaries, to the poor, that they said, you can't say it anymore in public worship because it's causing a revolution. I think we can make equal and opposite errors when we look at this passage. One way we can just spiritualize it and say, oh, it's just talking about spiritual things inside of us. And in the other end, the equal and opposite error is we can say it's only physical. It's only talking about material goods, wealth or money or food or those kind of things. I think it's both and, not either or. Yes, Positions of wealth or political power or pride can easily cause us to be independent from God. And many times people in that situation, it is harder for them to see their need for Christ. But again, we need to see that Mary says, and his mercy is for those who fear him. This idea of being able to, a thing that is in our heart, a belief. So yes, it is physical in one sense, and also it is spiritual. I love what Leon Morris says about the Magnificat. He says this. The Magnificat reminds us that we, what we most value, all that gives us status, power, pride, strength, and wealth, can be a barrier to receiving what God has in store for us. If we have it all, or think we can buy it all, there will be no Christmas for us. If we are full of ourselves, there will be no room for God to enter our hearts at Christmas. 
See, those who have little are more receptive to the great gifts God has for us. Himself, in a baby, in Christ. Mary, this teenager, in a very needy situation, saw this and trusted in Christ. I think I need to address the elephant in the room. Being here on Christmas Day. As a kid, I couldn't stand going to church at Christmas time. Whether it was Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, that pastor stood between me and my presence. And you know what was worse? Many times the pastors made me feel guilty for getting stuff, right? I was afraid my parents, after hearing the message, would take away my presents. My girls are downstairs in the nursery. I wanted to speak to them that they had to be dragged to church this morning too, right? I was going to say, girls, I get it. I'll admit, it's hard for me to be here this morning too. I wanted to sleep in. I had two sermons to write. Hopefully I've matured over the years. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't. But I thought presence would fill me back then. You know, it's hard to remember what present I got at age 11. I think probably 90-90% of the presents I got when I was young, they're gone. Little did I see there was a need that was greater than presents to be filled in my heart. Bigger than good food. Bigger than a Nerf gun. Some things that those things could not satisfy. There's always that let down after all the presents were unwrapped. Why isn't it enough? Now here's a gift that sustains us for the long haul. In loneliness, in heartbreak, in pain, that's still with us, it's still with me. My soul magnifies the Lord. He has done great things. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary ends the Magnificat telling of God's faithfulness through history. The word mercy is, again, barred from the Hebrew and the Septuagint. It's actually said, which is the word we've talked about quite a bit in our church and going through the Old Testament, because it's all over the place. God's steadfast love, his faithfulness, his graciousness. This is what he continues to give. Mary is reminding us he's not forget his servants. He does not forget his people. He is with them. I wonder who celebrates Christmas well. It might not be who you expect. 
It's not the overflowing of champagne or eggnog or full stockings or amazing food or turkey or big presents. It's those who long for what Christmas will do. That Christmas will make everything right. You know, my father-in-law loves Christmas. He pulls out all the stops for Christmas. He just, he puts lights all over the house. Everything in the house is decorated. He just does it, he does it all, right? And so marrying into that family, I, I married into the, the craziness of all the Christmas stuff. I also got to see a transformation in his life. He was a vice president of a very large corporation in Atlanta. And his wife and his kids made him realize that he was an angry person. And it led him to repentance. And it led him to quitting his job and actually becoming a therapist, (laughs) which is crazy. And I think about him today. Christmas time, which he loves. And he, on Christmas Day today, is alone. Well, he's not alone. He's with my mother-in-law, who's dying in hospice. You know, talk to him, no decorations, none of all the stuff. But he's okay. He's cared for this woman for 10 years as she's been homebound. If you would have seen this man 20 years ago, you said no way he would have stuck in that situation. You see what God does? A reverse kingdom. He takes the humble. And that man was humbled. So now on Christmas Day, more than everyone being in the house, all the stockings, all the food, all the stuff, he's with his dying wife and he rejoices that the day will come where she will no longer have a body that will wear away. That there will be a new heavens and a new earth. That is rejoicing in what Christmas really is. That is the good news. I know some of you are forced here today. You got to come, right? You got to come on Christmas Day, look good. Just ready to get home for presents or whatever it might be. I'm not bashing presents or fun or all of these things. But let us magnify what the Lord has done. 